we are here in week two of the Christmas season. Next week is our final, um, more very, very Christmassy service. All the more, we don't have more than one tree, but we got one tree. It's pretty good, pretty good for being a mobile church, okay? When it comes to Christmas, I, I get just a, a wee bit little dread in me because as a pastor, you know, I'm cheesy from time to time, but when it comes to Christmas messages, and, and what I've heard in the past is, Jesus, the greatest gift of all, you know? And I'm like, I, I just can't do it. The whole, like, when you're at Macy's shopping this year, think about the real reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. And I, I just can't do that. So we're gonna, I had to find something that was pinging my heart that I was like, I feel alive, I feel passionate about this because I don't wanna just talk about sweet little baby Jesus and, and have a little nostalgic couple of weeks. Like there's actually power packed in the story of Jesus come to earth, amen? And so um, I, I'm thrilled to jump into this. I think last week we talked about the prophecies from Isaiah 8 and 9 talking about a light dawning, Jesus being the light of the world and the juxtaposition between the darkness that we see in the world, but the hope of the dawning of a new light. His name is Jesus. And so the light of the world, Jesus himself, has dawned. He has come. And it's the kingdom now and not yet. We are seeing more and more of his kingdom released in our lives, and we're hungering for the greater things. But we have Jesus who is alive and well within us. And so today, um, I want to expand on this just a bit. When we're considering the deeper meaning of Christmas, the main things, that, the themes that come to mind are illumination. You know, we were just talking about Christmas lights. It's the first thing that you see when the days are getting darker earlier and you're getting a little bit sleepy because it's 4.40 p.m. And you're like, I can't take a nap any longer because then I'll never wake up. Just straight into hibernation till the next day. But the lights, the Christmas lights start coming and you're like, oh, that's nice. The nostalgic lights are coming and you feel a little light within yourself. It's nice. And so we think about illumination, but really the spiritual light of God through Jesus. Christmas means peace with God by grace. Christmas means that God took on human form and dwelt among us. The incarnation, part of the great plan of salvation and eternal hope. But today I want to look at what our response, what is our response as men and women to the grace of God that is made available to us through Jesus? How can we receive it? How can we own it? How can we make this faith real, tangible, and active in our lives? So I'm titling this message, Ignited Faith and the Process. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, as I'm, as I'm diving into this story of your, your, your mom, Mary... <laughs> I pray, I pray, God, I don't know if I've ever prayed that before. Jesus, I'm preaching about your mama. Here we are. We're doing it. And so I ask God that the faith that we see in Mary would be an example, but not just an example like, yes, I need to adopt this. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to ignite fresh faith in our lives. I know, God, that some of us have, have had moments of burning faith alive and active within us, and some of us feel like we're just dimly lit, like barely the pilot light is on. And I pray, God, for just a, a fresh fire, as we've already been praying, a fresh fire and ignition of faith in our lives. I pray, God, 
um, not only a faith in you, but a faith in what you want to do and accomplish within us. That where we've given into disengaging from trust because we've been hurt and it's been hard, that God, even today, we would have a fresh hope, a fresh hope ignited within us as well. And um, so, God, come in power as we open the word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Preaching about your mom. Here we go. Ignited faith in the process. I got a nice, oh, came back. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, your provider. All right, we're going to be primarily looking at this passage from Luke chapter 1, which gives us much more information about Mary's process of hearing some very complicated, life-changing news and what her response would be as that news settled. Why would Luke, who was a doctor, he was a smarty pants himself, he was a doctor, why would he include so much about Mary's process? I believe he included Mary's process because he wants us to learn from her example. Mary is a model of what faith of a believer can look like in response to how God chooses to move in you and through you. When sometimes it shocks you, you don't know what to do about it. The thing that God speaks Am I hearing him? How am I going to step into the greatness of what he's speaking? How do I process this when I'm riddled with fear? Just as Mary was. When God comes on the scene and speaks some pretty major things to you, maybe your calling feels too intimidating for you. Maybe you feel unqualified. Maybe you feel disqualified because of your very own actions. Maybe you don't feel like you have what it takes. But you believe that God is perhaps drawing you into this. When you think about the, the big things, you could, you could try to make it happen your own way. You've gotten glimpses of it, yet there's a part of you that knows you need some major faith and clearer vision to even begin to step in that direction. And this message is for you. When you first look at this narrative, we see that the angel Gabriel comes to give a direct message from God. We know that it's, uh, it is Gabriel, in fact, from verse 26, because it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This is a tiny little town. People in the region would have been like, oh, yeah, that's just, you know, just kind of like a flyby state. It's like a flyby little township. And it's just really nothing great comes from Nazareth back in the day. But here we see in verse 27, there's a virgin who is betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Sometimes... When you are engaged, it can be a short term or it could be many years. Often this is done through family relationships. And he was of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is the angel Gabriel speaking. You, favored one, the Lord is with you. Some, indivi some individuals look at faith and they claim, yeah, I'm more of like a I would say that I'm more of an analytical, kind of skeptical person. I just, I just don't take it and adopt it just because I should or because there's belief. And maybe it's probably just for the religious people that just, just believe. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of a tone that those individuals who have faith or belief, it's more of just a blind faith. They're, just, they're not actually using their minds or have much wisdom. But looking at the narrative of Mary here, she has anything but blind faith. Her response actually isn't just a Disney princess kind of response. Wow, how thrilling. I was just starting my daily chores. 
the sunlight pouring in. I was singing with the birds, and then I turned and behold an angel. Good day, Gabriel. Good to see you here. Do you have a message from the Lord for me? Oh, I'm pregnant, how thrilling. That's not what it says about her response. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern or wondered what sort of greeting this might be. What kind of greeting is this? The language here implies that she made an audit. Some of you hear audit and you're like, Ugh, IRS. Well, that's kind of what she did. It's accounting language. Some of you are laughing harder than others. Yeah. It's accounting language. She made an audit. She's trying to make sense of this messaging. How does this all add up? Actually, a very strongly rational response with her thinking. And I'm confident that she's like many of us. Did I just see that? Did I just hear that? Am I going nuts? Did I just hallucinate? Did someone slip something in my morning tea? She was deeply concerned. There is not a swift, sweet acceptance of this news and going off with her flower basket and knocking on her neighbor's doors. Behold, I am pregnant, says an angel of the Lord this morning. None of that is going on. And I love it. Her response is one that includes intellect and processing. And gosh, that makes it so much more relatable, doesn't it? Today, we tend to look at ancient civilizations, and honestly, we kind of side-eye those from years past, kind of arrogantly, assuming that their IQs were lower at the time, and that they're just maybe superstitious, they might just believe anything, but truthfully, they weren't less intelligent back then, and Mary's response isn't too different than how you or I would have responded, probably. People would have think, oh my gosh, she's been sexually active with Joseph. This is absolutely horrible. Or worse, some other man. Mary, how could you? You're engaged to Joseph. <laughs> They'll think that this baby is an illegitimate child. I edited there because some, even theological texts will say bastard. And I withheld bastard, but now I'm saying it, bastard. <laughs> A bastard child. When it's acceptable to curse in church. <laughs> Whatever she previously envisioned, Joseph and I are gonna have a, a nice little house. He's a great carpenter, so it's gonna be real special. I'm gonna have many kids. Whatever she's envisioning in her mind, here God comes and he is calling it in a new direction, throwing all of these things into question. No more than 16 years old. Some even believe she might have been 13, 14, 15. No more than 16 years old, near the bottom of the social ladder. This miracle, she was like, yeah, great miracle. This is freaking me out. This miracle would make her go even lower still on the social rungs. There's a lot to consider here. No Disney princess moment. Outside of our charismatic Christian circles, we are taught and we are trained that the supernatural experiences are probably just psychological experiences, not actually real. Oh, your dream, the dream that you had, 
Yeah, you're probably just having a processing dream. What did you have to eat last night? We train our children out of awe and wonder, making them believe that maybe their dream was, was, was just something that they're processing in their school earlier this week. And we train them out of supernatural experiences. My nephew, Finn, is now 13 years old, but back when he was around five years old, living in Pasadena, um, he woke up in the middle of the night from a dream. And he said, um, Dad, five years old, five years old, Finn. He says, Dad, I had a dream. And in this dream, an angel came and took a hot coal and put it to my lips and said, this is so no more bad words come out of your mouth and so that you're nice to your brothers and your sisters. All right, this kid does not know the book of Isaiah. I actually want to put this verse up from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. This is the prophetic word of the Lord. Thousands of years before, Finn. <laughs> See, this hot coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Yeah, dreams are just processing dreams. Let's move on, all right? <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at? We, we untrain children to actually hear the voice of the Lord through dreams and the supernatural. When Mary had this supernatural experience with the angel Gabriel, as a Jewish woman, she had been trained herself. She had been trained to not believe that God could ever come as a human being. So the theological beliefs that she had to confront were enormous. Yet in God's kindness, the blend of experience and evidence and a working of the Holy Spirit brought her to a place of great faith through her process. And her example parallels how it works for us today. Some of you are still processing your own faith. Is this Jesus thing actually real? How did I end up in this church today? How are these nutcases around me lifting their hands and doing a little jig or whatever they're doing? Is this Jesus thing real? They seem to really be passionate about this Jesus thing. I don't know. For me, I'm still working it through. I can relate to you, Pastor. This Mary thing's making sense. I'm tracking. And her example parallels how it works for us today. Some of us are still processing that. How do I actually know? And gosh, if this thing is real, if this Jesus thing is real... It's going to mean some things have to look a little different in my life, my theology, my behavior, my worldview. I might have to look like one of those nutty Christians. And Mary had her doubts. She had lots of questions. She used logic, and she used reasoning. If we look at the pages of Luke, we get further understanding of what's actually happening behind the scenes, how God is ready to meet her in her questioning. God is always working behind the scenes. Someone say amen to that. Amen. Think about that area you need a little help. He's working behind the scenes. Amen. Amen. Earlier in chapter 1, an angel also comes to a man named Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. I could go into a whole tangent of who he is. Um, but what you need to know is that he is part of the priestly line of Aaron, and he had duties at the temple. And he tells, um, he, it tells us in the text that despite Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife's old age, they could not have children, 
But an angel Gabriel comes to them and says that you will have a son and he will be a forerunner to the Messiah. So this supernatural, very similar story takes place earlier in the chapter. But what is Zechariah's response to when he heard this news from Gabriel? His response was doubting. And because of his doubt, the angel informs him that he will be unable to speak, zipped, mute, until his son is born. No talking until the son is born. Perhaps, too, the heavenly realm understands the power of our words and was like, we need this to be accomplished so much that this man with the authority of his words needs to zip it so he does not word curse his way out of a miracle. I mean, what a, what a story about the power of our words. It's like life and death is in the power of the tongue. We know that death is in the power of the tongue, but do you know that life is in the power of your tongue as well? Authority rests in those that follow Jesus. But when Mary doubts, Zechariah, we see him doubting, muted. Mary, when she doubts, why is there no extreme response for her? There doesn't seem to be any disapproval from God. Actually, quite the opposite. What is the difference? Well, basically, when we study doubt, it's actually quite nuanced. In some Christian settings, you might get rebuked by those around you. Brother, you are doubting. You got to have faith. You're still sick. You need faith. We try to, like, muscle it. Power through. You got to have faith. That's why you're not getting your breakthrough. Just turn on the switch. Faith activated. All right. Easier said than done. Thank you for that. Very helpful, brother Eugene. But I want to propose to you today that there are two main paths of doubt. The first path of doubt is that it shows that your mind is closed and that your heart is hardened. And I believe that Zechariah, even though he, he loved the Lord, he was giving his life before the Lord, there was something in there, maybe religious, whatever it was, there was a hardening of his heart, maybe hope deferred, making his heart sick that he wasn't able to get pregnant with his wife, Whatever it was, whatever it was caused a hardening and that kind of doubt. And then there's a second kind of doubt. And this kind of doubt shows that your mind is actually open and that your heart is softening. Some doubt seeks answers. Some doubt won't even be open to any possibility of answers. They're so shielded and calloused and offended to the idea that there might even be an answer. But Mary doubted in a way that she was open to the letting go of her options, open to the truth being different than she originally believed. And then there are those like Zechariah who have a hard time letting go of control. Even though he loved God, even though he gave his life before the Lord, there was still a hardening in his heart and his mind was closed with doubt and disappointment. So I want us to look, how can we observe Mary's faith and see how it was working progressively and apply that to our lives where we need an ignition of faith and to see the movement of that faith grow exponentially in our lives. When we look at coming to faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life, 
you are letting go of control. You are letting him take control and be Lord of your life, giving yourself to following him fully. It is radical. It requires a radical commitment of your entire life. When you look at how people mature in total surrender, because that is a starting point of total surrender, I believe that there is a maturing in our spirits and in our lives, that there's a total surrender that we can walk into. Um, and as we're looking at how people mature into total surrender with a fiery, alive faith, rarely does it happen in just one single church service. Rarely. Rarely does that happen. What does the process look like then moving forward with this kind of great faith and total surrender? Well, I got I to gotta propose it's because we, we are trying to make things look like they should with one person in another person's life. We are trying to, in our religious ways, take a box that we really are pleased with, and we try to take that box and put it around someone else's life. This is how you should be discipled. This is how your process should be. Why don't you have faith like Eugene over here? Eugene's really popular in this message. I don't know anyone named Eugene, so it's safe. A box placed around people. We try to make it curated to our desire. Really. It has to look different for each person. I have a friend that I've worked on for over seven years, introducing Jesus, introducing his power. There was a sensitivity, actually, to his presence um, really early on. But it was very hard for her to let go of, of this belief that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. He says the road is narrow. It is not wide. If the only way to the Father is through him. This is very offensive language. Because in our Western thinking, we want to celebrate no matter what your path is, whatever you find, you know, what's your way to the divine? You know, it feels like we are being compassionate. But really, we're leading people to darkness. There's only one way. The light to the path is a narrow path, and it's only through Jesus. If you want eternal life with the eternal one, it is only through Jesus. And if you're offended with me right now, this message is for you too, because just let God let it settle. Just let it drop down. I don't know if this guy's right or not. I'm offended. I'm just going to lean into this a little bit. Thank you. Thank you for that. Then there's others. Oh, by the way, this friend, after seven years, this summer, gave her life to Jesus. So God knows. He knows the timeline. He knows, hey, she needed to work through some things. With her, the, the, the thing that was really what brought her the breakthrough to, to see Jesus as he really is was she was seeing discernment. So with these healers and these other people, she's like, I'm, I'm not sensing that that's good. <laughs> I'm like, correct. That, that's right. Let's avoid the demons. Thank you. And, and so over time, I could, I could spell it out for her, but really she had to have a revelation by the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit's the best one to connect the dots to lead people to eternal life. He's the only one that leads people to eternal life. And then we see the contrast of Acts 16, where there's the 
Philippian jailer who hears the gospel and he immediately is ready to receive Jesus and is baptized right away. So people ask me, Pastor, what's your baptism program? Is it a nine-month program? I'm like, well, you could do the Philippian jailer program, (laughs) receive Jesus and get dunked. That sounds good. (laughs) Which one is right? Seven years or one day? Gosh, I'd love to see more people in one day hear the gospel and just, yep, I'm in, let's go. But realistically, people need a process. My sister-in-law's sister, we're actually quite close, um, I talked recently about her husband, who was the one in the family that always made fun of us. Um, he, didn't, he didn't want us to pray at meals, always making fun of us. He had an encounter on the side of a mountain where God spoke to him and said, you will know that I am real, come back in 40 days. Later, he looked at the calendar, 40 days from that moment was Easter Sunday. He gave his life radically to Jesus. He went from construction to starting a church on the street for the homeless, going to Walmart to pray for the sick, and he lost a whole bunch of weight because God, it's the whole Jesus program. If, if, you're, not, if you're not buying my, my used car salesman technique for the gospel, you will lose weight. If not, your heart, your body. <laughs> and so he didn't need a whole process. And the, I literally like saw him the next time and I did not know what to do with myself because it was so different yeah. than the man that I knew. Yes. I was like, that's called new life okay. in Jesus. Honestly, it was freaking, freaking out the family a little bit. <laughs> so his wife, Sarah, she's like, I mean, I'm celebrating this. <laughs> This change, like I love that he's a lot, he had never read a book in his life. He cheated his way through high school. He read the Bible cover to cover in like a few weeks. Crazy. Supernatural work of God. And so Sarah's over there like, I'm so glad that this is for him. I mean, it's odd. I'm like, where's Daniel? Like this new man living in my house. And she's like, okay, this whole thing he's passionate about, but me, I'm like dating Jesus. I remember her saying that for a little while. Yeah, I'm like dating Jesus. I was like, well, better than nothing. And (laughs) some of you ladies out there love dating Jesus too. (laughs) I'm going on a date with Jesus. (laughs) Rooftop in Culver City, just me and the Messiah. (laughs) Hey. Go on some dates with Jesus. It's good. She was dating Jesus a little differently. She she was like, you real? You real, Jesus? I don't know. So radical faith in her husband, taking time with Sarah. But Sarah had gone through years of chronic sickness. Like horrible migraines. She couldn't even take the kids to school. Like lights off, in bed, pounding headache. Her greatest love was riding horses, equestrian work. What is that? I don't know. (laughs) Riding horses. Couldn't do that. Had to sell her horse. Like so much of her life was just crumbling, crippled by um, these, these migraines that the doctors could not find relief for. 
And while she was dating Jesus, so to speak, she was in the shower one morning. She had started going to church with uh, her family. And um, she was like, okay, Jesus, if you are real, you can heal me. I will give my life to you if you heal me. That day at church, it completely lifted. She was healed and has, it's never come back. So God knows, God knows the blend of evidence and experience that we need in our lives. He, he made you. What he has started, he wants to bring to completion. He's not intimidated by your questioning. He knows us so well, and he is committed to the process. Some of you just need to know that God is more committed to the process than you are. He is more compassionate than you could ever dream. He's been committed to the process since you were born. Actually, since you were knitted together in your mother's womb. Drawing you in, revealing himself, pursuing your heart. And I think Mary's process was somewhere in the middle. Her, her example shows us that we can't make a rule of how people can or should arrive at a place of perfect faith. And we can learn a lot about our journeys, not just salvation experience, but where are we lacking faith in our lives in our current circumstances? Where do we have questions? Where are we struggling to trust God and hand him everything? We've been going through this series on trusting God. I'm sure he's doing a work within you, but sometimes it's a process of trust. Like, I got this in my hand. I've got three fingers peeled, but I'm still holding on like this. Okay, one more finger. Well, open up to you, God. This is painful. And he knows. He knows where we are struggling to trust him and hand him everything. Where have we hardened our hearts somehow through disappointment, through pain, through logic? Are there areas he's asking us to soften again and to lean in? And we can learn so much from, from Mary herself, her process and how she navigated her experience for our own journeys. And we see here, let's look at her first, second, and third responses. Her first response, she's questioning the ridiculous nature of this thing. And the lesson for us is, it's okay. You are welcome to bring your doubts. You are welcome to bring your disappointments, your frustrations straight to God. He already knows your thoughts anyway. He knows your heart through and through. So you might as well be real with him. But the second stage of her process was a simple acceptance. She says in verse 38, let's read this together. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me. All, all this, the pregnancy thing, the, how this is going to affect my life, I'm a servant of the Lord's. This life is not my own. Let it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. She's not stoked on it. She's willing to simply admit that even though this makes absolutely no sense to me, I'll follow the Lord. She engages with her own willpower to make this choice before the holy emotions join in. Before. Some of, some of you think that your emotions have got to line up before you're obedient. There are those out there who won't make any steps towards Jesus or in the area that you need faith until the emotions, the rationale, the, the personal all come together at once. And sometimes that's all we can do. 
just choose the best that we can with our wills to submit and to trust. Even with your current fears, even with the hesitation still there, it can and will get your foot in the ground to move you forward. Even if you just have to say it out loud to God on the 405 while you're going to work. God, I choose. I am a servant of the Lord. This area, super tough, super tough to trust you. There's pain, there's disappointment, but I'm just declaring the best I know how out of my will to trust you. Let it be done. The third stage in Mary's process that we see when it is, is when she visits her cousin Elizabeth. God, knowing Mary's weaknesses and questions, he brings a supernatural confirmation. Thank God for confirmations. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Mary approaches the house, Elizabeth gets what is called a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit, strongly perceiving that Mary is pregnant with the Messiah. This is a Holy Spirit kind of word of knowledge that Elizabeth gets. And let's read together, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is a prophetic utterance that Mary needed fueled by the Holy Spirit's power to be ignited into deep and alive faith and trust. And watch what happens. There is a flowing with joy from the confirmation that is power-packed from the Holy Spirit. She bursts into praise. Whatever she's going through, maybe it was a really hard journey even getting to her cousin. Maybe she was full of disappointment, but this is the moment of breakthrough for her. And it says that praise was bursting within her, and it says that it flooded her whole heart. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Not only that, but when we read the other verses, which we did, this revelation of the truth actually helps not just get her in her own, her own connecting the dots. It wasn't just for her. And how many of you know that whatever you're going through isn't just for you too? she was able to identify that this was linking the dots for the entire nation of Israel. All of Israel's history. And in this stage, not only is she yielding to her willpower, but this is the stage where her heart is given over as, as she fully let God's flood her with joy and revelation. And no matter where you might need faith in your life, in the end, God will always guide you past just the mental understanding and duty. And he will lead you into your entire being, your mind, will, and emotions saturated with the glorious faith of Jesus alive. He is so gracious to give us signs, gracious to give us prophetic words, scriptures, dreams, various confirmations when he's speaking. And these are signposts that will boost our faith. I remember, I was just telling a friend a couple days ago, um, he, he was talking about like hardship and asking me, like, is it really hard in ministry? And is it always going to be hard as a, as a Christian? Is it always going to be hard? And I want to tell this story first, which is when I was still in, I was living in Chicago at the time, the Lord had spoken about 
church planting in, in Los Angeles. Um, and at the time, I was 29 years old, felt really young. I was excited. I knew the promise of the Lord, but in some ways, I felt a little disqualified. I had never done this before. I'm just a young buck that loves Jesus. I'd done some education, but never planted a church. And so, you know, I, I'm making the steps forward with my willpower, and the Lord was giving signposts. But I had some friends gather around me my very last night, and there's a, a friend, Stephanie, who is of Chinese heritage, and when she prays in the spirit, often the Lord gives her phrases in French. Isn't that cool? Um, definitely has never taken French, um, but this is just a working of the Lord. So they were praying over me. And all these other pastors and leaders were saying, church planting is the hardest thing you're ever going to do in your life. Are you sure you're ready to do this? It's going to be difficult. Ministry is difficult. Missions is difficult. Are you sure? I was like, yeah. <laughs> huh? Here we go. And, uh, but I knew something in my spirit. I was like, every time I prayed about it, I felt the Lord say, it will not be difficult. Because I'm with you. It will not be difficult. Yes, I heeded the warnings of those who went before me. I know that in ministry, one of the things that we are is a hospital. And people who are in a hospital are hurting. And they bite. And they scratch. And that's part of ministry. You guys are like, yeah, some people are coming to mind. <laughs> so there's hardships. We are in a broken world. But we also have, we also have the anointed one who is anointed with joy, Jesus. And he gives us grace for everything that we need. And so I had heard the Lord say, it will not be difficult. That was what I was journaling over and over again. So as they're praying for me, my final night in Chicago, before I get in my old beater Volvo wagon and drive across the country, and Stephanie starts praying over, over me in, in French, il n'est pas difficile, il n'est pas difficile, il n'est pas difficile. It will not be difficult. It will not be difficult. This is what I'm talking about. Signposts of the Lord. The Lord combines our experience and what we're trying to sift through in our understanding, and he gives us these supernatural experiences that I'm talking about eight years later. Because it ignites faith within us. And I go, I'm, I'm taking that. That's cool. Il n'est pas difficile. The days that are hard. Il n'est pas difficile. Back off, Satan. And uh, so my answer to you, like, of course there are things that are difficult, but th there's a whole lot of loaded joy when you're following the Lord. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I feel, I feel lighter now than ever. Like, more pr probably more problems. More people, more problems. But just a little punk kick to the left, a little shimmy to the right. <laughs> Finding my way back to joy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going off track a little. All right. So why does this kind of faith take a little bit of time? And why can the process look so differently? Because faith isn't just a decision that you make. You can't just make yourself have faith. Did you know that you are absolutely incapable of believing in Jesus in your own strength? You cannot just decide that you're going to believe and make a plan of belief. 
Faith in Jesus is a miraculous opening of your heart, and he will guide us past our prejudices and our denials. The one who made you at the beginning is making you again. He is still coming to you, still revealing himself, just as he came to Mary, in order for us to have a response of our wills and our hearts to find and follow him fully. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She is emphasizing the language that she has moved to the very depths of her being. She is now fully caught up. She's convinced her feelings have all aligned. She is in total surrender joyfully. And she's having a revelation that God's faithfulness to her and his faithfulness is also to his people. We are all part, we love individualistic We love to be individualistic in our society, but can we actually even get outside of our own world and realize that we are part of a body and we are part of a city and we are part of a movement and we are part of what God is doing right now in the year 2023 on planet earth. You are part of it and you have a key role in being a part of it. Her amazement is clear. Wow, how the heck am I carrying the Messiah? This time in history, me, you chose me. I'm like 15 years old, me? (laughs) You sure? This is insane. But if we really understood the similarity, that we we have been chosen to be carriers of the Messiah still. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Each one that places their lives in the hands of God, making Jesus Lord, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Are we just as amazed as Mary was? Are we just as in awe and wonder at this miraculous mystery? Me, Tommy, I I was chosen. I was chosen. I am a carrier of the glory and presence of Jesus. In me, he's done it. He's drawn us to himself. He places faith within us. He brings new life. He's the miracle-working God that pulls us from the ashes and makes all things beautiful. A little illustration that I want to kind of hit home here. The distance between planet Earth and the sun, which apparently has a hole in it or something. I don't know. I saw it on my Google articles this week. Just kept flipping. (laughs) Then a couple people brought it up in conversation. I go, huh? We're going to be fine. 93 million miles. 93 million miles between Earth and the sun. Some of you are concerned. We're going to be just fine. And if not, give your life to Jesus today. There's still time. But if we relate that the distance between Earth and sun, 93 million miles, is as thin as this sheet of paper, which this is actually a bit thick paper because I like that. And one sheet of paper, that's how far, earth to sun. I'm going too long. Now, if we look at earth to the the closest star after the sun, I would have to stack these pieces of paper 75 feet high. You tracking with me? Now, how about the Milky Way? How far is that? 300 miles high. All those sheets of paper. 300 miles to the Milky Way. Now, keep in mind that the number of galaxies are innumerable and infinite. Now, if Jesus is holding all of that together, 
if he's holding all of that together, is he the kind of person you ask to be your assistant? <laughs> so why do we treat God, why do we treat him like a consultant rather than supreme Lord? God, that's pretty cool about the galaxy thing, but you can be my consultant. We should be falling to our face. You are supreme lord of my life. I am a nobody in comparison. Thankfully, that's not how he thinks of you. Holy, righteous, you're a saint. He empowers you. He loves you with everything. How can we follow in the footsteps of Mary? We can trust that God is absolutely, entirely committed to us. He is a good father. He is the kindest person there ever was. Jesus once said to his disciples, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, you're going to give him a snake instead? Luke 11. Then Jesus emphasized how much more generous is the Lord our father. He will give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. The further we go into the arms of God, the more meaning, the more purpose, the more identity, satisfaction, the more hope that we have. We have become grounded. We become more and more resilient joyful, filled with wisdom, even if, even when the hardship comes. And look at the fruit in Mary's life. She becomes one of the greatest figures in all of history. Matthew 23 says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Matthew 16, whoever wants to save their life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for Jesus, will actually find it. Truly, in the middle of her questioning, the angel speaks the truth of what it looks like to trust God, even when it feels entirely out of control or impossible or difficult. But verse 37 is the key here. For, for with God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. There is no end to what he can do through your life. It's not too late. He can and will redeem your life, even if it's been up and down. All that you can do is open up your heart today, align with God and his grace afresh, letting go of the old and committing your way to the new. Let the power of the Holy Spirit work richly, deeply, rooted in you, and faith will come alive. It will be a fruit, alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's stand up.